to In the Word with Pastor Don Haskins, where we open up the Bible to see what God's Word says and how it might apply to our lives. Our prayer is that you allow Jesus to change you from the inside out. And now, today's lesson. Morning. I was pleasantly pleased with the questions that you all gave to me last week. Um, I did ask you to send me questions. They were very good questions. They were very straightforward questions. And one question was, what was the purpose of the transfiguration? That was uh, given from your pastor, Kevin, as a joke to me. It was a as a joke many, many, many years ago. We had done a lot of ministry, a lot, a lot of ministry, and we ended up going to a baseball game just to kind of relax a little bit. Yeah, it was with Kevin and, and Luis Segura and Sam Moss and myself, and we were sitting there watching a Marlins game, and it, uh, somewhere around the sixth, seventh inning, Luis looked in and said, hey, uh, hey, Don, what is the purpose of the transfiguration? And I'm like, Lou, Look around us. We're at a baseball game. You're asking me that kind of a question right now in the middle of a baseball game. That's awesome. It was it was fun. The answer is you know it's answered in the very next verse. You know Jesus. You know he said that. And what was the purpose of transfiguration? Jesus, when the transfiguration happened, you know Jesus says, hey, there are some of you standing here who will not die until you see the kingdom of heaven. And the transfiguration is exactly what happened. You, know, you had Peter, James, and John. They're on the mount with the Lord. And all of a sudden, Jesus, he's, uh, he's, he's transfigured before their eyes. I mean, he's just bright, glowing white, you know. And, uh, and then there were one standing on either side of Jesus, you know, two men standing on either side of Jesus. And Peter, James, and John, they knew immediately who they were. It was Moses and Elijah. And, and they're looking at them, wow, Moses and Elijah are here talking to Jesus. This is wild. You know, how did they even know that it was Moses and Elijah? I mean, it was ye- thousands of years prior to. I mean, I think we'd be hard-pressed to n- recognize Abraham Lincoln walking in this place. You know, uh, Ronald Reagan maybe. I don't even know, you know, but, but to go thousands of years back. And we have pictures of these guys you know, and here Peter, James, and John are sitting there. You know, Peter is the one that loud mouth. He was the guy that opened his mouth a lot. And he said, hey, you know, hey, it's good for us to be here. They knew who they were. They were transfigured also. There, there, was, a, there was an element of, their, of the presence of the Lord. They knew exactly who was standing there. They understood who these guys were. And there was a picture there that it was an in, in indelible imprint upon each one of those guys' lives that, you know what, this isn't just some shenanigans that are happening with Jesus. This is real. I just saw the kingdom of heaven right here, man. I saw two people who were gone, long gone, that I've read about my whole life, all of a sudden standing there alive right in front of Jesus and ministering to him. And so they saw the kingdom of heaven at that moment. Jesus said, there will be some of you standing here who will not taste death until you see the kingdom of heaven. And, and they saw it. What was the purpose of transfiguration? It gave even another shot in the arm to the people. 
that their kingdom of heaven, that the kingdom of heaven is actual reality. Well, the next question that, that uh, was not necessarily having to do with uh, prophecy was this right here. It was, uh, Bert just had it up there, was, uh, um, does God hear you when you only pray in your heart? Yes, God can hear you in all shapes and forms. He does. You don't have to stand. You don't have to kneel. You don't have to raise your hands. You don't have to cross your fingers. You don't have to get on your... You don't have to do any of those things. You can pray out loud. You can pray in your heart. Uh, Jeremiah says, you know, that the, the heart of man is desperately wicked. Who can know it? Well, the, the, that was a rhetorical question. It was a, it was a, 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 a statement that, that only one can know your heart. And it's, it's God. God knows your heart. God knows my heart. He knows what we think even before, you know, uh, even without us verbalizing it, which to some of us should scare us a little bit, right? I mean, it should kind of intimidate us a little bit and then we go, okay, whoa, get that out of my head, which is a great place to be. When you know that the Spirit of God knows what you're thinking when you're thinking it. You remember what Jesus says? You have heard it said of old, thou shalt not commit adultery, but I say to you, if you have lust after another, you have committed adultery already. The point is, is that you might be sly and sit there and just go, I'm just, I'm just at the grocery store. I'm just, oh, I'm looking at the sweet peas over there. Not, when in all actuality, you're looking at the sweet pea is what you're doing, you know, and, and, and you're sitting there and nobody else knows what you're doing, but you in your mind know what you're doing. Know this, the Lord knows too. The Lord knows too. And so, you know, I remember one of the, the things that, that I heard back in Bible college that freaked me out actually when I first heard it, and, and hopefully I can freak you out and you can carry this burden around with you for the rest of your life too, is, uh, I say that jokingly, but here, here's the thing. Your deepest, darkest secret, it's open scandal in heaven. What you think nobody else knows about you, it's being shattered from the rooftops. Everyone knows it. Everyone knows it. Seeing that we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, the writer of Hebrews tells us in chapter 11, right? In chapter 12, I'm sorry. Seeing that we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin that so easily besets us. And let us look unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, who was the joy? It was you and I. It was us. The joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, he despised the shame, and we all know he sits down at the right hand of the Father. And so here's the thing. We are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses that are watching our moves. Yes, my mom sees me sin. Ah, Sorry, Ma. You know? Sorry, Jesus. So if you're praying in your heart, know this. God knows. God hears. God answers. So don't 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 ever be intimidated by that. There was another question here that uh, that kind of uh, said, uh, "What is happening to us? Uh, knowing what time it is, why don't we do what God wants to do? Wants us to do? What are we missing?" I agree, uh, how wholeheartedly. You know, you think about that. You know, what is happening to us? Knowing that the time is near, why do we not do what God wants us to do? What are we missing? Um, it's the sinful heart of man. You know, it's just the sinful heart of us. It's us. And when I say man, I don't mean males. I mean mankind, uh, women and men. We have 
as I already said, you know, Jeremiah, speaking of the Lord, you know, he says, hey, the heart of man is desperately wicked above all things. Who can know it? Well, you know what? God knows it. And God knows our hearts. But what's really, really cool is that, and, and, and before I say that, you know, one of the things that Paul, um, when you go back into in, in Romans chapter 7, Romans chapter 7, Paul says, you know, I wouldn't have known sin unless the law would have said, thou shalt not covet. Now, we all understand what covet means. Covet means what? Anyone? Want something of others? Huh? Putting it above other things? You know, covet is another word for lust. It's another word for lust. And so our Apostle Paul, that we have written 13 books of the Bible, that we look at, and, and we go, man, if I could only just attain this place where Paul was, man, what a great guy he was. He's going, hey, Listen, yeah, follow me as I follow Christ, but know this, I am a sinner. I am the chief of all sinners. He, he understood who he was. He said, I wouldn't have known the law unless the law would have said, don't lust. Don't covet your neighbor's wife. You know, your man, or his manslave, or his animals, or his possessions, or anything like that. Don't do that. Don't lust. Paul says, I was pretty good. You know what Paul was saying is that I, I did all, all other nine Commandments, pretty well. I, I felt pretty confident in those. But when that number 10 came in there, that last one, tush, sin revived and I died, he said, you know. And, and so you and I, we look at that and we understand that we're evil at times and we, we think some ugly things at times. And here's the thing. Don't allow that to drag you down and anchor you down to the world and keep you away from the Lord. Know this, God knows you in your sinfulness. One of the greatest verses of the Bible is Romans 5.8, right? Who can say that? Who knows Romans 5.8? Anyone? For God so, or for God, uh, God so loved the world. God demonstrated, I'm sorry, God demonstrated his own love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You hear that? God demonstrated his own love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so here's the thing. God didn't look at you and I as good. He looked at you and I as sinners and loved us anyways. And he came and he died in our place. And so because you're a sinner, doesn't shouldn't ever keep you away from the Lord. It should, in fact, drive you closer to Christ. It should drive you to him seeking repent you know repenting and seeking forgiveness and confession and and going before him and getting right with him but but paul he dealt with that you know he says man the things that i will to do those are the things that i don't do the things that i will not to do those are the very things that i practice oh wretched man that i am who will deliver me from this body of death you ever feel like feel like that with your sin it seems like you just keep falling into the same sin or you keep blowing it in the same... Maybe it's in your mind. Hopefully it's not something that you're acting out. But even if it is something that you're acting out, know this. You fall into it and you fall into it and you fall into it. And how many times is God going to forgive me? You remember that? We do remember that, right? What did Jesus say? If anyone offends you, if anyone sins against you, how many times should you guys forgive them? Peter goes, hey, I'm going to show you how spiritual and holy I am. Jesus... I'm going to say it in front of these guys. I'm going to say seven times. <laughs> seven times, Lord, I'll do it. Now, I, don't, I think that 
Peter was lying right there, and I think he was sitting right there. I don't think that impetuous Peter would, would do that, but maybe he did. And Jesus says, no, I tell you 70 times 7. Now, I don't know how well they were and how good they were in math at the time, but they might have, that might have stumped them for a little bit, and they might have had to go home and you know, pull out their abacus and figure out how to figure out that problem. But you know, they came to the realization that Jesus said 490 times. And, and when they figured out 490 times, they had to come to this grips and saying, okay, does, does he mean that now I don't have to forgive if they do it the 491st time? Now, I think they understood exactly what it was Jesus was saying. You continue to forgive and continue to forgive and you continue to forgive if true repentance is sought. You always forgive. You always forgive. Why? Because God, I am God. I will never ask you to do something that I myself will not do. That's just what Jesus does for us, right? He forgives us. Oh, but I've blown it so many times. I'm so depressed because I continue to blow it in one area. Well, you know what? Here's the thing. Go back to the Lord and seek forgiveness. And guess what he's going to do? He's going to give you forgiveness. He's going to put you on a path to walk straight again. And so never stop pursuing Christ because of your sin. Just run to him. He's never going to get tired of you coming back. But come back genuinely. Come back. Come back and ask him to give you the power, give you the strength. And I know sometimes it doesn't seem like you've got, you've, you've got the strength to get through it. But you know what? Here's the thing. You're going to overcome that. You're going to overcome it. You keep coming to Jesus, he's going to help you to overcome those things. That Answer that question. Um, why is this stuff happening to us? Because we're sinful. We're sinful. Why? Because we're sinful. And we, 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 we sometimes become very confident in the days and the ages that we're living. I remember I was back in the late 60s, early 70s, dating myself a little bit. You know, here I heard my mom used to talk about this. I'm just joking. I was back in that time. Late 60s, early 70s, and into the late 70s, even into the 80s. There was a hard push, wasn't there, for prophecy. Get ready. Christ is coming. Get ready. Christ is coming. And, and it was, it was a, a, a prevalent you know, push in the church. And the thing is, is that it was something that people were nervous about. And so people came to know the Lord in droves. They wanted to be right before the Lord. But then time went on and the thing happened. You know, nothing really happened. Jesus didn't come back. And so... You know, and maybe if you were in the church back in that time, you were excited about all of the same things also, and you're excited about those things. You're thinking, hey, Jesus can come back at any moment. Jesus can come back at any moment. And after a while, you go, you know what? He hasn't come back. And so you become complacent. And right now, I think that that's where we are in the church, is that the church has become complacent. They've heard that before. I know just on my own social media Many of my old Christian friends that I went to Bible college with and wept on the floor on my face, seeking and interceding for others and for myself and for us and asking God for direction and just earnestly, passionately seeking out after God with these guys. Many of these guys have completely and totally turned their back on the Lord because... Well, Jesus didn't come back in time. He didn't give them what they wanted. He didn't give them the vast ministry that they thought that they were going to get when they got out of Bible college. They were doing things for the wrong reasons. They weren't seeking God's face on a day-by-day basis. And, and, or they were, and God wasn't answering it the way that they thought that God should answer. And so what they did is that they cast in, they, they chucked in 
reality of Christ, reality of, of heaven, because the pull and the draw of the world was so strong and everybody else seemed to be having a good time and everybody else used to mock me for being a Christian. I'm tired of being mocked. Jesus hasn't shown his face. I just really wanted him to come back and show his face in front of all these guys that have been mocking me so that it would show them that I was right. Show them that I was a Christian. That Jesus, you know, God wouldn't put up with this any longer. Well, you know what? In a way, isn't it kind of nice that Jesus hasn't yet come back? I mean, how many of you guys have gotten saved in the last, say, five years? A few of you in here. Five years. Can you imagine if Jesus would have come back six years ago? Where would you be? You'd be in the middle of a tribulation period right now, man. You'd be having a hard time. And so, why is it that we don't turn to the Lord? Well, because our our hearts, they don't trust the Lord. We become confident. But know this, Jesus says, if you're not watching, if you're not like the house owner who was prepared for the thief, know this, he's going to come in an hour you don't expect. He's He's going to take it all, man. Watch, therefore, be ready. Watch, therefore, and be ready. All right. Um, so, prophecy. Go back to that next question. What was the, the next thing that we had up there? Yeah. Uh, no, go back one. I think it was the... What's that? I don't know. There was one... Kind of go back towards the beginning. I think you put it on in the very beginning. It was like on a red screen. Yeah. There we go. Should we as Christians even spend the time to attempt to understand the end times? And that actually is a, is a, a question that is a very good question. Here's the thing. Yes. Yes. Uh, you know, Jesus spoke about the end times. You know, there are so many churches that say stay away from the book of Revelation. And I think that that's kind of silly. Stay away from the book of Revelation. It's too hard to understand. So just stay away from it. Just stay clear. Do you know what? It's the only book of all of the 66 books of the Bible that says that you're blessed if you read and understand what it says. You're going to have a blessing if you do that. God didn't just write a book and go, you know what? That's too confusing for you. Let's just just cast that one aside and don't worry about that one. Especially when it's the ending. Can you imagine reading a book and then cutting out the last chapter? How horrible would that be? You read War and Peace, man. You've spent 17 weeks reading that thing. And there at the very end, you come to the very last chapter. You go, "Ah, I'm not going to read it because it would be too hard for me to understand what the conclusion is. (laughs) You know, here's the thing. God shows the revelation. The book of Revelation, the actual word revelation literally means the unveiling. You know, the idea behind the unveiling would be that a stage, picture a stage, picture a, you know, down here at the Van Weasel, we have a Broadway-sized stage down there. And, and you know, a, a, a performance like I think the Cats were there many years ago, quite a few years ago. I don't know what's in there right now, but, um, you know, they have this big production going on. Well, they have all of these props that they put up. They have all of these things that, that are that have to be set up before the the opening curtain, right? 
before the opening curtain. Everybody has to go through their lines. Everybody has to be prepared. Everybody has to be in sync. Everything has got to be dialed in. Everything has to be placed in proper in their proper places. The timing has to be down. Everything has to be. And come 7 o'clock on that one night, on the opening night, what happens but the curtain opens. That right there is what the book of... That's what revelation means. The, the stage is set. The curtain is opened. And this is what you've got. This is what you've got. And so I think it's very irresponsible for pastors or teachers to not go through and look at the book of Revelation with the, with the people. I think it's very irresponsible to not look at that even on your own. It is the unveiling. It's the, the final curtain is going to open up and we're going to see what is behind that. So is it important? Yeah. Jesus said, listen, <laughs> you know, you just have to go in and you need to look at Matthew 24, Matthew 25, where Jesus is talking about the end times. In Matthew 23, you look at these things and you see all of these things that Jesus is talking about there in the end and, and the things that we need to be aware of and be ready for. And, and so here's the thing. Would we also say, well, let's not read Matthew 24 and 25 because those are too hard to understand? Absolutely not. If Jesus is saying it, let's follow it. Let's listen to what he has to say. When he says, watch therefore and be ready. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you don't expect Him. You know what that's talking about? That's talking about end times events. Watch therefore again, for you know uh, neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. And, and so here's what we have. Jesus is laying these things out. And, and then he kind of lays out even the judgment of, of the, you know, the, the Gentiles, if you will, there towards the end when he starts talking about the sheep and the goats and he looks at there and he goes, you know, you know, some are going to be entered into heaven. Sheep will. The goats will be separated. And, and they'll be cast off into everlasting fire. He'll say to those on his left hand, Depart from me, you cursed. It says in verse 41 of chapter 25 of Matthew, He'll say to those on his left hand, The goats, Depart from me, you cursed, into the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, you gave me no food. I was thirsty, you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, you didn't invite me in. Naked and you didn't clothe me. Sick and in prison, you didn't visit me. They'll also answer him and saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry, thirsty, or stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them. Jesus will answer them saying, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into everlasting punishment but the righteous into eternal life. When you say everlasting punishment, what is that? Is that a, a one and done kind of a thing? Punishment, boom, done? No, everlasting punishment. There are those that like to teach that there is, you know, that, that you know, the unsaved are going to be annihilated and that's going to be it. Well, that's not what Jesus teaches. It's evident that Jesus doesn't teach that even right here. They're going to go away into everlasting punishment. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You can't weep and gnash, it, you gnash your teeth if you're dead, if you're gone, if you have no consciousness, if you have, if you have no ability to, to reason at that time. There, there's no weeping. What would you weep over? You have nothing to weep over. You're dead. You're done. Jesus doesn't say that. Jesus says, no, there's a very real consciousness. And, and that's where you'll go if you don't have a relationship. 
These things are happening not only in your life upon the death of an individual, but also these things are going to happen when the Son of Man comes back. And so, next question. Uh, you know what? Let's just go through these things real quick. So we don't... Because we had them... Here's the thing that happened. We had them all in order um, before, but then Media Shout, our, our program, crashed during, I think, maybe the service and what have you, and we lost everything. And so we're having to go back through these things. So even though Jesus fulfilled over 300 prophecies in the Old Testament, it is given that the religious rulers of those days missed who Jesus was. These are your questions handed to me, and so I'm going to try to do my best to answer them. Uh, It is given that the religious rulers of those days missed who Jesus was. That's true, isn't it? In part because because God fulfilled prophecies in ways that the religious rulers did not expect. And so here's my question. How do we know that God will not also fulfill prophecies as it pertains to end times events in ways that we do not expect and teach? Uh, that's a great question. It's a great question. But the one thing that we do have, we have Jesus. We have God becoming human and living among us. They didn't understand salvation either. Salvation was revealed in the person of Christ. Now, I know that there are some variations of how the end times events will happen. But one thing is evident and one thing is clear. There are end time events coming. There are, you know, there is a Christ that is going to come back. Jesus said he would come back. Jesus himself said he would come back. The angels told the disciples and all of those that were watching Jesus rise up into the clouds when the clouds received him when he left the earth the clouds received him and they're all sitting there looking at the clouds as I'm looking at the stain I didn't know that there was a stain there but as we're looking at these clouds I should look up more often here's the thing we look at the cloud they're looking at the clouds and they see Jesus ascending into heaven Lo, I'm with you, even, always, even to the end of the age. And boom, he's gone, you know. And, and they're sitting there going, that, that was wild. Oh my goodness. Is he coming back now? How about now? Now? And, and you can imagine, I would be there, sitting there going, I, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to watch. I'm going to sit here and watch. Uh, back when you know the space shuttle was a big thing, right when it first started off, you know they used to take off and land in either Cape Canaveral or Edwards Air Force Base, and uh, out in California. Well, I grew up in California and I've lived in Florida. I got to go to both of those and and you know watch them take off from Cape Canaveral, watch them land in, in Edwards. Well, there was there was like three million people out in the desert. It was the wildest thing. It was like the second or third landing of the space shuttle out in Edwards Air Force Base. It was such a huge, huge event. And there were all these people and it was just, they they had these millions of people out there, but we were all so spread out all around that airport. And it was wild because you had guys out there with drums, you know, boom, 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 you know. And it's just, they're out there just playing. You had another guy way down there with, you know, a generator with a guitar, you know, with an amp, you know, and everybody's out there just having fun, waiting for the space shuttle to come. And all of a sudden, you have these big speakers all around the desert. And actually, a lot of people um, also had the, the the thing on in their cars, and so you could hear when 
the space shuttle was going to be coming back into the atmosphere. And all of a sudden you hear the pop, 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 you know, and, and, and you hear it coming in. And all of a sudden, when that happens, what happens to everybody? The drum sets, the drumsticks go down, the guitar is laid down. And what happens to everybody? Everybody looks up in the sky and everybody's looking up. and Nobody knows where it's going to come until you hear the one person go, there it is. And you look at where they were and you look at where they're pointing and then you look back, right? That's what you do, Right? There it is. And, and we did that. It was, it was weird. You know, where, where, there, there. Oh, there it is. And you sit there and you watch this little dot. And this thing just did this. It went, I mean, from the time that you could barely see it until the time it landed. was. I mean, that thing is a gray sewer lid coming out of the sky. Here's the thing. These guys were out there just going, where is he? Where is he? Someone just say, there he is. Someone say, there he is. Well, they, nobody said that. To the point where God says, okay, you know, I don't know, Bert and Ernie. I don't know if they're, what their names are, but it's like a couple angels have got to always go and minister to people, right? And, and so, hey, Bert, Ernie, go down there. <laughs> you got to tell them to get going because this isn't doing any good for anyone. And so the angels, they appeared and they said, oh, here's some guys that came in glowing white. And they said, what are you doing? Standing there gazing up into the sky. Well, Jesus just took off. I, yeah, we know, we know. You know what? He's going to come back in like manner as he went. He's going to come back just like he went. Go. Be about your business. Go and do what it is that he called you to do. Finally, their eyes came out of the clouds and they went about the business of the Father. Right? Okay. okay. So, so, all of these things, we have these things that are happening in the New Testament that weren't happening in the Old. We have Jesus declaring what is going to happen. We have Jesus declaring all the, the all of the things that are going to happen. And so, though we might be a little foggy on exactly how every little thing is going to happen, the point can remain that it's going to happen. Whether or not we understand exactly how it's going to happen, you know, when the rapture happens, are our clothes going to stay here? Are, are, you know, when, when the rapture happens, when we're translated, you know, you know, do our clothes stay or do they go with us? I don't know. You know, always, I've always had the picture that the clothes will stay, you know, and it just boom, and they just kind of fall to the ground. You imagine you're a non-Christian, you're talking to like five Christians and all of a sudden they're all gone. Five pairs of clothes on the ground. That'd be kind of freaky. I guess it'd be freaky too if the clothes were gone too. I mean, you're going to freak out anyways. <laughs> it's going to be weird. But here's the thing. We do know that scripture, where scripture is logical, where scripture is plain, I think that, again, we go back to, you know, um, you know the, 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 the literal sense should make perfect sense you know, lest we make any nonsense, you know. Uh, so we, we just look at it. We do our best to reason. We do our best to, to understand what it is that Christ has, has called for us. I think that we have a little bit more than what the Old Testament saints had because we have Jesus that came along and warned us not to fall into the old practices of the scribes and the Pharisees, right? In fact, he went on and gave them a whole lot of woes, didn't he? You know, back in Matthew chapter 23. 
And he really, really hammered down on them because they were not taking care of the things that they needed to do. And so I think that we have a little bit more, uh, quite a bit more, because we have actually Christ coming on the scene, God in human flesh coming on the scene, telling us kind of how things are going to go. And so are we going to be completely perfect on it? No, but he's given us what's going to happen. Um, and it will happen regardless of how it is that we're going to, to see. What's it going to happen to the United States in the end time since we're not mentioned in Scripture? Um, I, that was, and those two questions were on the same card. I got chewed out twice. Um, I, and I say chewed out. I'm saying that tongue-in-cheek. I'm not taking that as a rebuke. Well, unless you meant it as a rebuke, then I'm sorry. But I don't give an altar call very much in here. Um, obviously, you know, we, we're a small church, but... Uh, I'm not against. I'm not against altar calls. Altar calls are not something that you necessarily see in Scripture. Jesus never said, you know, come forward, you know, at the end of one of his messages. You know, he it was it's it's a it's something that we have, you know, implemented, you know, and and uh, Christians have implemented, and it is a great great tool to allow you know believers to you know th- those brand new believers to 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 stand up and declare you know their faith before the lord and make that confession you know if you confess me before my you know if you don't confess me before men i my father won't confess you before my father in heaven if you do confess me before men my father i'll confess you before my father which is in heaven you know and so it's a great first step for many people but it's not necessary it's not it's not absolutely necessary to salvation. Salvation is a work, it's a miracle work of the heart. And uh, let me just, just out of a size of a group this size, don't feel pressured one way or the other. Be honest with me. How many of you got saved during an altar call? Be honest. I mean, it, when you came forward. Okay. We, I, I see two hands. How many of you got saved and hopefully all the hands go up, but, but how many of you got saved? Not at a church service, maybe. Not at an altar call. Not coming forward at an altar call. How many of you guys did that? And so, so an altar call isn't what gets us saved. Now, I know that I should give more altar calls. I love them. I, but I try to give opportunity for people to come to know Jesus. And, and I will... I hear you. And man, I, I want to give more opportunity. And I think that maybe every week that I teach... It would be I would be remiss if I don't give people an opportunity. I think of you know, uh, uh, I think it was uh, oh, was it Moody that uh, the evangelist that uh, in the in Chicago he gave an evangelistic meeting and uh, right at the very end of his evangelistic meeting he didn't even lead them in a place where they could come to invite Christ into their heart. He said, no, I want them to come back tomorrow because that will kind of seal the deal. And it just so happened that the very next day was was the, the, the night of the, the Chicago fires and so many thousands of people had perished during that. And, and it was something that grieved him so much that I didn't give an opportunity. Some of those who perished probably were at my service last night. Some of those people that perished. And so it, it propelled him on and prompted him on to not ever not give an altar call again. And so I will do my best in that and, and offering whether an altar call 
or whether an opportunity for people to come to know Christ. But the invitation is, is I think, the, the biggest thing. The United States in the end times. End times with the United States is very, very, uh, it's controversial. Um, it's not something that we, we see necessarily in Scripture. Um, there are those that will look at passages um, of, uh, you know, um, where you'll see, as in Daniel chapter 7, let me, like I say, I'm, I'm kind of going on a, Uh, okay, here's one. Uh, Daniel chapter 7. Uh, in the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream and a vision in his head while on his bed. Then he wrote down the dream, telling the main facts. Uh, verse 2, Daniel spoke, saying, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea, and four great beasts came up from the sea, each different from the other. The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. I watched until its wings were plucked off and it was lifted up from the earth and made to stand on two feet like a man and a man's heart was given to it. And so uh, that was the first beast that Daniel saw and, and there are those that would like to look at that that will look at that and interpret that as going, well, the lion is, is uh, you, know, uh, you know, the lion is, is, is England. You know, the lion is England. And uh, the, the eagle is the break away from England. It's the United States. The United States, as we understand, you know, our, our, our uh, mascot, if you will, our, uh, it's not mascot, what is it? Our, is it mascot? What, no, what, our eagle. What is the eagle to us? It, it's the emblem. It's the emblem. It's our national bird, you know. You know, we're known as the eagles, you know. Not Philadelphia eagles, but eagles. And, and, and so the United States, you know, would some might liken the, the United States to the eagle and, and some would like to look at verse four and some will interpret saying, well, the lion is England, um, the eagle is the United States, and they back it up by saying, I watched until its wings were plucked. You know, the first was like a lion, it had eagle's, eagle's wings. I watched when the wings were plucked off, which would mean that the United States broke away from England. And uh, it was lifted up from the earth and made to stand on two feet like a man and a man's heart was given to it. And, and what they liken that to is the United States stood on its own and became, you know, a, kind of a moral compass, if you will, into the world, you know. And so, you know, is that, uh, is that, that I, I don't tend to look at it that way. I don't tend to look at it that way. I look at, at uh, the four beasts as a reiteration of what we see back in Daniel chapter 2 and 3, um, where we see uh, Daniel um, interpreting a dream that Nebuchadnezzar had. You remember the big statue statue that Nebuchadnezzar had, a big gold statue, or a big tall statue, you know, head of gold, you know, chest and arms of, of silver, and the, the belly and thighs of brass, and the legs, uh, you know, that of, of iron, you know. And, and, if you go back and, and, and then the and then as the, the, the feet turned into you know the toes, as it moved out to the toes, you had iron mixed with clay. And then Daniel says, and then I and then King Nebuchadnezzar, you saw a, a rock cut out of a mountain without hands, you know. Uh, it, it was uprooted and it came and it landed on top of the beast. 
or on top of the statue and the statue was was ground into powder and the winds came and carried it away but that rock that destroyed that grew and grew and grew and multiplied and filled the whole earth well the, the picture is 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 you know you go back and you look and you can see historically uh, this isn't just me this is historically you can go back and look the the last world powers if you look upon the face of the earth the last true massive world power that basically dictated what was going upon on the face of the earth can be traced back to the greatest of them all, the very last true world dictator that we ever had upon the face of the earth was Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar was Babylon, of course, and he's the one who had the dream. And, and Daniel says, you are that king. But after you, there's going to come a chest of, of, iron, of, of uh, silver, you know, uh, chest and arms of silver, you know, and, and, and that was the, you know, the Medo-Persians, you know, and, and then the belly and the thighs. There came Alexander the Great in Greece. And after Alexander the, the Great in Greece uh, was followed by the Roman Empire. Uh, that was the legs of iron. And, and they were, every one that came down was a different type of a metal. And when it got down to the, to the Romans, they were so brutal in the way that they handled people. They were so brutal in the way that they they uh, maintained their law, but then it moved off into you know iron mixed with clay, and and the idea would be is that that it's moved off into ten different toes, ten different toes, and and it's it's not a consistent you know uh, you know nation ever you know again you know and and there's there's uh, dissimilar, you know, materials that are trying to fashion itself to one another, and and if you really think about it, iron doesn't attach itself to clay, you know, and so it's it's disjointed. There's something wrong with it, but it, it, those are our last major world powers that we've had upon the face of the earth. And that rock cut without hands, I would liken it unto Christ. That's Jesus Christ. Jesus says, I am the rock. <laughs> and Jesus comes and he lands upon all of the forms of government that have ever been, you know, from Babylon until the day that we're living in. And he crushes it and grinds it to powder. It blows away. And his government will see no end. He will grow and grow and grow and magnify throughout the earth. And he will, uh, he will rule and reign upon the face of this earth. And it will no longer be according to man's government. It will be according to Christ's government. And so when we look back at uh, the United States, it's really people really have to stretch to, to look at, at uh, uh, the United States being spoken of in Scripture. I know that there's a, an area in uh, Ezekiel chapter 38 that many people will also like to look at and say, well, that, that's the United States also. In chapter 38 of Ezekiel and verse 13, um, it's talking about how uh, uh, you know, God is going to put hooks into the mouth of some nations to draw them into a battle. And, and uh, it's, it's a battle they don't want to get into because they're going to lose. But they think they're going to win, but God puts a hook in their jaw to draw them in because they think that they can do it. They, 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 they think they can do it. Uh, Persia, which is Iran and Ethiopia and Libya, North and South Africa uh, are with them, all of them with shield and helmet, you know, Gomer and all of its troops. 
House of Tagarma and uh, far north, you know, it's Turkey and and uh, even portions of, portions of Russia, you know, coming in here. When we look back up at Magog and 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 Rosh and Meshach and Tubal and all of these nations that are going to come against Israel, but there are going to be some nations that will be um, supporting Israel at that time, um, and uh, there will be. A few different nations that will come to the aid of Israel. Uh, Sheba, in verse 13, it says, Sheba and Dedan, the merchants of Tarshish, and all of their young lions uh, will say to you, have you come to take plunder? Have you gathered your army to take booty, basically, against Israel and what have you? And so there will be some that will kind of come alongside to support. But, but you know, they would look at the long, young lions, you know, being, you know... Uh, Tarshish being kind of a picture of Europe, uh, the young lions being kind of the United States, Canada, Australia, those that kind of broke away from England, those being the young lions. Again, it's a big stretch to, to bring the United States in the midst of that. So I, those are the areas that I see the United States in that, that people will look at and say that the United States are mentioned. But one thing that we can say is that, uh, is that the United States... Uh, is not going to be a major player, I don't believe, in, in, in the last days. I think that, that uh, you know, there is a time and a purpose for us. And I think one of the things that God has done here in the United States is use the United States to bless and protect Israel. You know? But the moment that we begin to turn our back on Israel... There really is not a major need for the United States anymore. And so I don't, I don't want to sound like a defeatist or anything like that. But one thing that we can definitely understand you know there's some things we can't understand in scripture but there's some things we cannot not understand in scripture and the one thing that we can understand in scripture is that Israel is the epicenter from Genesis chapter 1 all the way through Revelation chapter 20 here's we 22 here's what we have we have Israel Israel is a made is the major epicenter of all things and so here's the thing all of these nations are going to come against Israel. They're not coming against the United States. They're going to come against Israel. The reason they're coming against us is to destroy us so that they can get to Israel. You understand that. You know, Iran and, and, and uh, Iraq and, and, and uh, you know, all of these nations want to come against us to destroy us. Even those Middle Eastern nations that are friendly with us are listen be careful of those you know of of jumping on the bandwagon and saying hey they're our friends they're great guys they're they're, they're it's wonderful know this um Osama bin Laden was once our ally <laughs> we created that we created you know we gave him you know the the, the armament to to battle against uh Russia's Vietnam war you know, Russia had a Vietnam War for over, I think it was over 20 years that they fought in Afghanistan, never won the battle. But he was fighting against Osama bin Laden's armies, if you will. And we were supplying that money and we we're supplying that, that weaponry and what have you. And we created something and we thought that they were our friends, but when in all actuality, there was only a purpose in what they were doing. We'll take this, we'll take this, this, uh, this, you know, support. We'll be friends with you until we don't need you anymore, and then we'll come and take you because we we believe we need to eradicate the great Satan. We're called the great Satan, the United States. The little Satan is Israel, and so 
as long as they can get rid of us, nobody can protect Israel. That's the thinking. And so know this. It's not about the United States. It's about Israel. And so um, we're doing a good job of taking ourselves out of this whole equation of being a player in the end times anyways. And so um, I'm out of time. Here's the thing. I've got got quite a few more questions to deal with, and I don't want to keep you here. But if... I knew that this wasn't going to go one week. Um, this is important stuff. All right. If you got friends that need to hear some of these things and you want to talk about it and they want to, you, you want to, you know, have an opportunity to, to, to kind of hear, you know, what does it, this is my take. I, I'm not perfect I, by any stretch of the imaginations. I, I will tell you what I see in the word and I will lay it out to you and you take it home and, and you read and you find out if what it is that I'm saying is, is right or wrong and come back and talk to me, you know? And I know that as we get into prophecy, I'm going to have people that are going to come up against me and say, yeah, I don't, I don't agree with you that way. I don't, I don't, I don't see it that way. Well, okay. Well, you know, you show me in scripture where you are. I'll show you in scripture where I'm at and, and let's see if we can come to a, an understanding. But here's the thing. This is what I've studied. What I've studied, and this is what, this is what I, I lean on. Am I dogmatic on some areas? Yeah, pretty much dogmatic on some areas, but there's a lot of areas I'm not dogmatic on. It's just, it's just impossible to know. But it seems implausible that these might be the directions that are going to go. And so um, I will let you know on those areas that I feel very strongly about and other areas that you know I don't totally know. I don't totally know. And I don't know that anybody can totally know. And so... Um, there are those that will say, oh, yeah, you totally can know. Um, I don't know, you know, and they may be right. I may be wrong. I don't know. One thing I do know is that Jesus Christ is coming back. Jesus Christ is real. Jesus Christ, he hung on a cross and he died for the sins of all mankind. If you do not have a relationship with Christ, now is not the time to be waffling. Now is not the time to be, and, and you know what, for goodness sakes, you've heard me say this, if you've been around this church for any amount of times, you've heard me say this before. Listen, you may have gone to church your whole life. You may have gone to this church for a long time. But let's not be arrogant. Let's not be arrogant in this mindset that says that there are not some, even in this room, that will not be saved in that day because you never came to a place where you accepted Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, where you surrendered yourself to Him. You gave Him your life. You know, it's one of those situations where we look back in Matthew chapter 7, you know, Jesus says, many are going to come to me in that day and they're going to say, Lord, Lord, didn't I do many things in your name? Didn't I do many my miracles? Didn't I cast out demons? I mean, for goodness sakes, that should count for something. And he says, I will declare to them in that day, depart from me. I never knew you. You see, it's not what you do for Christ that matters. It's what he's done for you that matters. Have you accepted him as your Lord and Savior? If not, get right now. Because it can happen any day. I am going to give you a clue on kind of the direction that we're going to go, but... I believe that Jesus Christ can come back at any moment. And I believe that that's how Paul lived. I believe that that's what Jesus was saying. Live. 
You don't know the day or the hour. Watch. Be ready. For if a house owner knew what time the thief was going to break in and kill, steal, he would have been ready. And he wouldn't have allowed it to happen. But I don't want us to be bumps on a log and, and, and think, ah, it just has never happened. And as Peter says, there are those that, that you know, say, hey, you know, all things go on as they've always been from the beginning. Nothing has changed. You know, nothing is nothing has changed. Nothing is 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 different, you know. Where's the promise of his coming? They say. This Peter's words. For since the this is what he's saying that people say. Scoffers are going to come in the last days, walking according to their own lusts, saying, Where's the promise of Christ's coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. But then Peter goes on, he says, For this they willfully forget, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of water, and in the water by which the world that, had, that then existed, it perished being flooded with water. Don't you remember the flood? Peter saying, Oh, but that happened so long ago. We're not even sure that that really did happen. Peter says, But the heavens... And the earth, which now exists, are kept in store by the same word reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But guys, don't, he says, but beloved, don't forget that one, this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. And the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some would count slackness, but he is patient and long-suffering toward us, not willing that any would perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. Are you ready? I've been going to church my whole life. I think I'm ready. Are you ready? Do you have a relationship with Christ? Is it one that's meant that's based on words? Is it one based on, well, I went forward at a Billy Graham concert or I went, you know, at, at, at Crusade. I went, you know, I raised my hand or I said something. And, and, and very well, that could very well be that that was the day that Christ grabbed a hold of your heart. But did he grab a hold of your heart? Only you and he know. Only you and he know. This is my form of an altar call. I want you to know that before you leave this place that you have a relationship with Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for today. Lord, there is so much. I, I, I was hoping that I'd get through a few. Um, the kids were saying that I'd... I remember one young lady said that I wouldn't get through more than one question. <laughs> uh, loved it. I got through two, I think. Um, but Lord, these are our pertinent issues. These are issues that we're concerned about. These are issues and questions that we're we're wondering about or maybe some confusion maybe some of these qu questions are are there to to just elaborate on because the person knows the answer but they want it to be elaborated on so that everybody else can understand and they feel that that's important i don't know but lord this one thing we do know is that our heart skips a beat when we begin to think that you could be coming back at any moment. For some, it skips in fear. 
For others, it skips in great anticipation. And I pray, Lord, that every person in this room, that their heart would skip with anticipation, great anticipation, to see you face to face. What a glorious day that will be. As Paul said, I am hard, hard, I'm betwixt, I'm hard pressed between the two. To die and be with Christ or to stay and be here with you, I guess it's best if I stay and be with you right now. The heart of his statement was that he wants so desperately to be with you. Help us, Lord, to be in, with, to live with such great anticipation Today might be the day. Today might be the day that you come back. Help us to live for you. Help us to know that those words, depart from me, I never knew you. I never knew you. That we'll never hear those words come from your mouth to us. But we would hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your rest. Lord, may we all have a true personal relationship with you. And Lord, if there's anyone in here that doesn't have that, I will invite them at this moment to enter into that relationship with you. And again, it's not the magic of the words. It's not the magic of this moment. It's the miracle of the Holy Spirit speaking to a desiring soul, one of, what, one of which might be in this room, one of which might be listening to this online right now. That says, I'm not right with God. Maybe maybe it's that person who's fooled everybody for many years. Claiming to be a Christian, but all the while, never really, in their heart of hearts, never really desiring it. More so liking the morality of a church and the, the, the cleanliness or maybe the purity of what they find within families of a church and the people of a church. They're good people and that's who I want to be around. But never really having a relationship with you. And so Lord, I, I, I come before you on the behalf of those people that don't have a relationship with you, that have been going to church for a long time. Or maybe this is the very first time they've ever heard your message. Lord, I pray for them that they would honestly come before you offering you all that they are all that they've ever been all the sin that they've ever committed all the, the, the failures that they've ever been they've lived in and the things that so disappoint them in their own life that they would not ever want anybody to know about themselves God you know it you know every single thing you know the motivations of our hearts and yet, Lord, you still love us. You demonstrated your love towards us as we heard in the beginning. In that while we were still in that kind of sin, you died for us. Simply because you loved us. And so, Lord, I come to you. And I ask God that you would forgive my indecision. You would forgive me. And that you would save me right now. God, you would take my soul. I surrender it to you. I do believe that you died on a cross. I believe that you were God in human flesh hanging on that cross and you did it for me. 
And three days later, you did something no one else could do. You defeated death. You rose again. Your resurrection proved to the world that sin had been dealt with in heaven in the only manner in which it could that you, sinless God, would die in the place of sinful man. I being that sinful man. I being that sinful woman. Come into my heart. Come into my life. Make me new. Make me clean. I want to follow you. I want to be your child for the rest of my days. Lord, I may not know exactly what those steps may be, but God, I I trust you're going to show me. I want to be saved. I want to be with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thanks for listening. So, did Jesus cause a change in you today? Or do you need prayer? We'd love to hear from you. Please contact us by visiting our website at calvarychapelcf.com or call our office at 941-926-3717. That's 941-926-3717. Again, thanks for listening to In the Word with Pastor Don.